For our series of the AEC Competition Talks with Leading Experts, we have today Chiara Fumagalli, Associate Professor of Economics at Pocono University and member of the Commission's Economic Advisory Competition Policy. Chiara is an applied microeconomist whose research covers the fields of IO and corporate finance, and much of her recent work has been concerned with competition policy. Chiara's research has been published in leading academic journals. She is also the co-author of the book Exclusionary Practices, the Economics of Monopolization and Abuse of Dominance. Thank you, Chiara, for your ability ability to do this Comcast with us. Chiara, much has been said, written and researched about acquisitions of nascent or potential competitors for the past few years, and you have made important contributions to this line of research, in particular regarding the trade-offs from a competition perspective that emerge when you take into account the role of potential financial constraints for innovative entrants. But before digging deeper into your research, let me start by asking you, why do you think there's so much attention right now in this topic, and what do you think is the prevalence of this acquisition of startups? Is this an issue in digital markets, in pharma? Is it a wider issue? What is your perception on this? So there is a lot of attention because of the digital markets, because in these markets, these type of acquisitions seem to be very common. But I would like to stress that my perception is that uh, this is not something that we should be concerned about only for the digital markets. This is something that occurs in other markets. I cannot be more scientific than that. But uh, my perception based, for instance, on the fact that the data suggests that the vast majority of uh, startups choose nowadays as an exit strategy the acquisition. This suggests something that occurs across various markets and therefore we should be concerned about that, not only for the digitals. More widely, but this is something that has been much debated, but in terms of the current approach of competition agencies towards these acquisitions, how would you characterize our approach of competition agencies? What are we leaving out? I think there is a serious problem of under-enforcement for this type of acquisitions in general for merger control. So we are authorizing too many anti-competitive mergers, for me, for sure. And that needs addressing for sure. And I think that that's why it's so important to have research inputting into what are the changes that we need to do in terms of merger policy. Now, focusing on your research, you co-authored an article with Massimo Motta and Emanuele Trantino in which you analyze an optimal merger policy towards acquisitions of potential competitors. And the novelty of your model is that you factor in the trade-offs by considering the potential pro-competitive effects of acquisitions of potential entrants that lack the financial resources to develop their innovation project. Now, can you tell us a bit about the intuition of the different trade-offs that you analyze and what do they imply for an optimal merger policy? Yeah, so our starting point was precisely that the literature or the debate focused a lot on killer acquisitions. So acquisitions in which after the acquisition, the acquirer decides to kill the project to avoid competition with existing activities. We wanted to say, okay, but there may be another effect. Those acquisitions may complement resources that the startup is short of. In our case, financial resources, but one can be wider, managerial skills, knowledge of markets, and so on and so forth. And therefore, they may favor the development of a project to reach the final market. So the, the third point was, let's try to consider both possibilities. The other important intuition is that the antitrust authority may not know, and also sometimes the acquirer, whether the target is able to succeed on its own or not. 
So these are the important ingredients of our model. And the, this leads to the conclusion, first, that the transaction value plays an important role because the transaction value signals whether there are good chances that the target is able to succeed on its own. And in turn, this has important implication for the assessment of the welfare effects of the takeover. And the second message is, uh, even though, precisely be because of this, even though there is a beneficial effect of this type of acquisitions, the merger approach should be strict in order to push towards acquisition that target only the firms that otherwise are not able to succeed uh, independently. And this can be done by, which is the other important result of the paper, by being sufficiently strict. So taking into account the beneficial effects of this type of takeovers doesn't necessarily mean that it's justified to be lenient towards them. So this wants to be the message. I think this is a very important result also because one could question out of all the discussions, well, but don't these financial constraints exist in reality and might not we be stifling innovation if we enforce too much? But your research has shown that no. So a strict merger policy is still advised, which I think is very important for the debate that is going on. I think being strict doesn't mean that you prohibit everything. Of course. <laughs> But you stricter. Screen, yeah, stricter, <laughs> exactly. Okay, so Chiara, all these research and these debates have been accompanied by some recent developments also at the policy level. At the EU, you had the DMA, in the UK, you had the Digital Markets Unit, and there's others, of course. This all concerns obviously only to digital. And now, given your conclusions, how do you see these developments and their fitness to address the problem? And as I say, if this is not an issue that is restricted to digital markets, we know at least that in pharma this is an issue as well. Aren't there other sectors wherein their enforcement remains untackled? Yes, <laughs> there are many. No, so the point is that currently what has been done in practice, the little that has been done has been done in the digital markets. So it's true that DMA has made a step forward introducing this mandatory information of the acquisitions undertaken by the big platforms. But honestly, I don't think this is enough. At least this should be complemented with resources allocated to antitrust authority that make them able to analyze all those acquisitions because otherwise the information doesn't mean much. In the UK, probably they are doing a little bit better because the proposal that has been done again for the digital markets to the parliament introduces the proposal to use the value of the transaction as a threshold for notification, which could be an important step forward, allowing to at least analyze some of those acquisitions, the ones that seem to raise more anti-competitive concerns. However, what I would like to say is that this should go beyond the digital market. We shouldn't be only confined to the digital markets and worry only about acquisitions of startups in those markets. I must say that in the US, there is something that is moving. There has been this speech of the Advocate General, Vanita Gupta, that stressed the fact that they want to take the anti-competitive effects of acquisition of nascent competitors much more seriously and not only for the digital. So I think we should follow this direction in all the markets, not only digital ones. 
Indeed. And Karen, our challenge, I would ask you to put up a hat with yourself in the shoes of a policy decision maker. And what do you think, if you were in those shoes, what would be the changes that you would do or you would consider to the merger control framework in terms of notification thresholds, but standards of review as well, that you would consider as key ingredients to have an optimal merger policy, if you were to decide? So, as I was saying, not only for the digitals, but in general, I would try to introduce notification thresholds also based on the transaction value and not only on market shares because when startups are concerned market shares mean very little of course we have to discuss what is a high price it may not be easy but that doesn't mean that we have to give up on that first definitely i would try to not only for acquisition of potential competitors in general for merger control of any type of merger to give antitrust authorities more effective tools to block concerning acquisition. For me now, the standard of proof necessary to block is too high, which means that it's very, very difficult to block acquisitions. For instance, the idea that the anti-competitive effect should be more likely than not doesn't help because in my view, it makes it essentially impossible to block acquisitions in which, okay, there may be different scenarios, some more concerning than others. This type of approach doesn't help. We should really seriously reconsider this and I don't know. When I was a student, even teaching competition policy, I'm always I always have this reaction that economic theory suggests that mergers are quite likely to be anti-competitive. The exception should be that they are not. And instead, in practice, we authorize almost everything with few exceptions. And this contradiction always strikes me. And when students ask, I don't know how to answer, to rationalize this. I think we should start from there. The risk of under-enforcement surely is... I don't is, think it's a risk, it's a reality. A reality. Indeed. Chiara, thank you so much. It was a great and informative talk that you gave to us. Thank you so much for doing this podcast with us. Thank you to you for involving me. It was really a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you.